0: For those of you who this is your first time, you might be saying, wow, this is a really young guy for a head pastor, and I'd say, you're right, I am, no, I'm just kidding, I'm not the head pastor, my name is Caleb, I'm the student minister here at City Church, and today I get the honor to uh, teach you guys. So uh, today I'm going to talk about one of my strongest convictions that I, that I hold to, and um, That's about being a good husband in marriage. So uh, three months into marriage, we're going to talk about marriage. No, we're not talking about marriage today. You guys, that was a joke. I'm not talking about marriage. I've been married for three months. How am I going to talk about marriage? No. Uh, But as we read during the scripture verse was Psalm 119, and it was all, if, if you don't know this, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses. And the entire chapter is all about one thing. And it's about delighting in God's word. The entire thing. The longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible. It's kind of interesting. And I think like this is really telling to us before we started in terms of what's the attitude that we approach Scripture with? Do we have the attitude that, that David had writing Psalm 119 about do we really delight in God's Word, that when we come to it, are we excited? Because I think a lot of times... Like, at least just in my experience in student ministry, what I've, what I've realized is that a lot of times we approach scripture, and we probably never say this, but we do it begrudgingly, and we're like, this is outdated, and it's boring, and it's hard for me to apply to my life, and I don't understand why I should read it. You would never say that, but I think that's the heart that a lot of us come to scripture with. And I, that breaks my heart, and that's, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today is because even though it was written 2,000 years ago, and like that's partly understandable. There are arguments that are made in Scripture. There are stories that are very strange and very weird. And it's like, all right, why is this chronology important and how on earth am I supposed to apply it to my life? Like That's totally understandable. There are plenty of those. But if we know that Scripture is God's Word, then it must be authoritative because it's God's Word. And if God is timeless, then His Word must be timeless. So then that means that even though this was written 2,000 years ago to an audience that isn't us today, it, Matt Chandler puts it this way, it wasn't written to us, but it's written for us, that it's still timeless, which means that everything in here is applicable for you and I right now today, all 66 books. Then shouldn't we be excited about this? <laughs> like This is worthy of excitement that the God of the universe would, would give us this, his actual word to hear from his voice so we should be excited when we open this story up, when we open this thing up. This should be awesome. We should be trembling as we open this Bible. And today we're, we're going to look at two Israelite Old Testament kings and how they respond to Scripture. And they respond in polar opposite ways. And let's talk about the first one. His name is King Jehoiakim. I'm guessing none of you have named your kid King Jehoiakim. Um, not, a, not a very popular guy. And here, here's, here's let's, let's get started. Jeremiah 36, one to three says this. In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. All that just said is that the year is now 604 BC, okay? Um, Take a scroll and write it on, write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all of the disasters that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil ways that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, I know when we think about the prophet Jeremiah, we think about Jeremiah 29:11 11 um, and all that, but Jeremiah is not a prophet that we should envy or want to be like, because he had probably one of the toughest gigs ever. He was told by the Lord he was going to prophesy to the nation of Judah that destruction was coming. And guess what? Nobody's going to listen to you, not a single person, but I want you to keep saying the same message over and over and over again, despite the fact that no one will listen to you. And that's what he did for his whole life until the exile came from Babylon. And so God is told by Jeremiah, right? As it just said, he's going to write down this prophecy of destruction to come. And so what happens in the rest of chapter 36 is he goes and he reads it before the people of Jerusalem and then he goes and he reads it before the city's elders and then those elders say, the king needs to hear this. Like the king needs to hear this prophecy. And so the prophecy comes before King Jehoiakim and this is how he responds, Jeremiah 36, 22 to 24. It says, it was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter house And there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And Jehudai read three or four columns. The king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments the king was so unaffected by God's word that that it was being read, he cut it up and was throwing it in the fire. And I think our knee-jerk reaction is to utterly condemn the king who destroys God's word with fire. Our knee-jerk reaction is, what's wrong with this guy? How could you do that to God's word? But I think the question that leads me to this is, do we do anything different when we remain unaffected by God's word? Maybe instead of burning it, we let it collect dust on the nightstand. Is our heart posture any different? And this is a question I have to ask myself, right? Is, is the wickedness of this king any different than, than my wickedness and how I treat scripture? because I think one of the biggest attacks from the enemy since day one is to separate us from God's word. Think about the garden, right? When, when, when the serpent was, was tempting Eve, did he say, did he say, Eve, look how juicy this fruit is. You've never had anything that tastes like this ever in your life. Like, it can't compare to anything else. No, it wasn't a temptation of look how great this is. It was a questioning of God's word. Did God really say you can't eat from this tree. And from the very beginning, the enemy is always working so hard to separate us from our Bibles because we don't have a more powerful tool we can use in this world than this. Because there is not a sermon more powerful, nor people that are more enjoyable, nor any book that is more truthful or transforming than the inerrant, infallible, sufficient word of God. And if we know this is true, if we know we can hear from God Almighty, and if we know that we can rest in the truth of his word, and if we know that this book can be a compass to navigate every stormy sea that we'll ever go through, then why do we have a hard time opening it? We know it. Because then, when we don't, the enemy succeeds, and we become frustrated and mad at a God that we don't know very well because we haven't bothered. But God, in his kindness and in his love, does not take away his word from us. He has given this to us as a promise, all 66 books for you and I to learn about him, that even when our heart is in the same posture of King Jehoiakim here, that it is, we still have the Bible and there is still a chance for us to come to it and to return to it that you and I, we do not, this doesn't have to be our story. We don't have to be in the same path as King Jehoiakim because God in his graciousness and his love, you guys, the Holy Spirit's awesome. And and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it helps us interpret God's word. God's given us his spirit so we can understand what's contained in the Bible. But beyond that, do you know, he's also given us the Holy Spirit so that we can treasure God's word not only interpret it, but also treasure it. Because of God's grace and love for us, this doesn't have to be us. But instead, maybe we, can, maybe we can look more like this second king. His name is King Josiah. And in 2 Kings 22, he's crowned the king of Judah. At eight years old, he's crowned king. And by the time he's 26, he begins to repair the temple and as he's fixing the temple, this is what happens. 2 Kings 22.8 says that. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So time out. The book of the law is just this Hebrew phrase that means the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Um, it's referenced all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the only book that's called the book of the law. So the book of Deuteronomy was lost, and then as they're doing some spring cleaning, it gets rediscovered. Um, and maybe you're asking, Caleb, I thought the Jews loved God's word, and I thought they treasured it, and they memorized it. How on earth did they lose a book? How did they lose a fifth of the law, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus, Exodus, and Jeremiah. How did they lose that? And the answer is because, unfortunately, for the last 75 years, they had two really evil kings. Their names were King Manasseh and King Amnon. And these kings were horrible. I mean, just terrible. And they neglected God's word to such an extent that they literally lost it. And so for 75 years, the Israelites did not have the book of Deuteronomy because the scroll had been lost. And now it's been found. And here's a heavy thought. How we respond to God's word, it doesn't just affect us it affects the next generation. God's word was lost for 75 years and it led to people being entirely out of touch with God's word. Now I guess that question that leads me to is how on earth could we be out of touch with God's word and still have an intimate relationship with him? And so what that tells me is that this previous generation they failed to respond to God's word and in their failure to respond the next generation suffers because intimacy was already severed to begin with parents um, I am I'm I'm fully confident that I'm in accord with the scriptures when I say that I am not the primary disciple of your children as a student minister here Jessica's not it either for the children. You guys, you are the primary discipler of your kids. I'm not here for you to throw them at me and tell me to, Caleb, fix them, teach them some morals. That's not what I'm here for. But what I am here to do is to come alongside of you and help you. And I want to do that. And one of the ways I do that is by trying to get these kids on Wednesday nights. I try to, if I could, I'd shove their noses in the pages of their Bibles. And, but I can do that all I want on Wednesday nights. But parents, your, your kids need to see you read your Bibles. They need to see that. They really do. Because how are they supposed to know that that's what intimacy with the Lord looks like if they never saw mom and dad do it? But mom and dad were great Christians who always took us to church. Because if they don't see you reading their Bibles, all of a sudden they're gonna think they're following God and in reality, they're so far out of touch with them. Let's get back to the story. There's some exciting stuff that happens. This, this work is good. Here we go, here we go. Okay. Um, so we have this girl that's been lost for 75 years because of some terrible kings, right? And now it's been found, and now the high priest and the secretary of the king, they found it, and they're like, oh, shoot, we better show the king this. So 2 Kings 22:11. here's how the king responds. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. If you remember the first king, polar opposite reaction. First king, it literally specifically said he didn't tear his clothes, And now it says he tears his clothes. So today we don't do this. This is a sign of mourning. This is what Israelites would do when they would mourn. And if you have your Bibles, you can look at 22, 18, and 19. I don't have them up here, but I'm just going to say what it says real quick. It describes what this looked like. It talks about how Josiah had a repentant heart, how he humbled himself before the Lord, and he wept because of the sin that was before him. Talk about polar opposite reactions. How we respond... To God's Word. It affects the next generation, but it also affects our own personal relationship with the Lord. Josiah was humbled when he heard God's Word because our God is a God of revelation, and he, he in his love has chosen to reveal himself to us through his Bible. And at the end of the day, we don't read this to learn a specific moral code. We don't read this to learn about how many Sundays out of the year you need to go to church. We don't read this to get new, song, new hip songs out of it. We don't read it to figure out what our next pillow verse needs to be. We don't read it for any other reason outside of learning about who God is. Because when, in it, when we read this Bible and we see this, we see how grand God is and we see how small we are. We see how perfect he is and we see our sin in him. And in his grace, we see our need for it. And ultimately, when we read our Bibles, we become gripped by the gospel. Josiah was broken over the sin that was before him. And you guys, when we come to our Bibles, we should be broken in our sin, but shouldn't we rejoice all the more in the grace that has come through it? How we respond to God's word, it affects the next generation, but it also affects our own. It also affects our own relationship with God. Um, if, this is kind of an interesting comparison I was thinking about. If your spouse wrote you a love letter, I imagine you'd probably read it. But now imagine, like, so like, go along here. Now imagine all the excuses we use for not reading our Bibles. Now what if we said those to our, our wives or husbands who wrote us a letter? Uh, honey, I'm sorry, I know you wrote me that letter and you gave it to me on the way out before I went to work, but I just, I didn't have time today. I, I didn't have time. Uh, I just didn't have time. Or, sorry, babe, uh, you know, honestly, this letter it was kind of confusing and kind of long and, you know, the first chapter was great and all, but <laughs> the rest of it, eh. Or the, oops, I forgot, hey, I'll try tomorrow. Like, I imagine... Now, okay, now I know the cynics in the room are already thinking, Caleb, you've been married for three months. Uh, a, uh, your wife will forgive you just like that because it wouldn't be a big deal because you guys are still in love and all that. <laughs> and, and you're probably right. I'll give you that. You're probably right. But at the end of the day, right, relationships require effort. And so if our spouse wrote us a letter, we'd read it like that. But yet when the God of the universe gives us a whole book, and we, we don't. Relationships require effort, it requires intentionality. And if we fail to be intentional and listen to God's word, how will we ever grow more intimately with him? Through prayer, God has opened up a way for us to talk to God. And through scripture, God has opened, us, opened up a way for us to listen to him. We need both. The relationship must go both ways. And you guys, it just gets better, man. This, this what happens next is just so awesome. When we read our Bibles, it, it affects so much more than just our relationship with God. Because look, big things happen. When you and I respond to God's word like King Josiah humbly and broken in our sin and we see God's grace and we change our ways, big things happen. And here's one of the big things that happens. 2 Kings 23:3, it says, and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before God to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. Verse two talked about how all those people, this was all the people. It said the small people and the big people, everybody. Everybody did this. Everyone in Judah joined in on this covenant because King Josiah wouldn't let God's word end with him. Hilkiah and Shaphan, when they found it, they didn't let it end with them and they brought it to the king. The king didn't let it end with him and he brought it to his people. You guys, when when we respond to God's word like King Josiah, it can't end with us. Who are we gonna share it with? Because isn't this the greatest news of all? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? He went out and he shared it. And I'm not talking about the whole Jesus and the devil are arm wrestling, like if you think Jesus is gonna win kind of junk on Facebook. That's not the kind of sharing we're talking about here. I'm talking about sharing the gospel that is contained in this word. So you guys, how we respond to God's word, it affects our community. It affects our church community, but it also affects the people that are around us. Look, it gets even spicier, you guys. Like, it gets better. Here we go. There are two other amazing ways that our response affects our community. Not only, so it affects our community because people encounter God's word. When we encounter God's word, we ought to bring it to other people and allow other people to be encountered by God's word. But it goes beyond that. There's a second way and it's amazing. So not only do they encounter God's word, 2 Kings 23, 21 to 23 says, and the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay, that might sound weird. But let's talk. So if you know me, you know I love history, okay? And I love dates, especially like Old Testament dates. Like all this stuff is very fascinating. And it can be really handy in moments like this, okay? So Samuel was the very last judge for Israel. And he died in the year 1014. And the 18th year of King Josiah's reign was 622. So simple subtraction tells us that this has been 392 years of straight disobedience, 392 years that the Israelites did not do the Passover. Now, if you remember, the whole point of the Passover was to remind the Israelites how God graciously has set them, set them free out of Egypt, that they were once captives and they were once slaves, and God took them out into the desert and into the promised land. And they were supposed to do the Passover once a year, every year, to be reminded of God's saving grace. And for 392 years, this was not done. And I imagine that they forgot grace, because they weren't the ones whose shackles were free. It was their great, great, great grandparents. So you guys, when we respond to God's word, it affects our community not only because other people will respond to it, but because the worship of the believing community is enriched. A huge aspect of their worship was missing this festival that is is huge for the Jews to do had been gone. This is why we believe in fight clubs because the pastors here, as wise as they are, don't have everything figured out. And they are broken sinners just like everyone else. And so we believe in Fight Clubs because we believe every single one of the members of the body here needs to be in their Bible. We believe that flight Clubs are the best way for you to have your nose in this book. Spurgeon says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Fight Clubs are a great way for you to live in your Bible because you guys, our church, can only be as healthy as a whole as we are as individuals. If the church is the is a people and not a place, then we can only be as healthy as you are. So, are you in a fight club? If you're not, here's a super easy application. Here you go. This is your application right here. Boom. Uh, we have fight club training that starts next Sunday. Register. Go to this. Or, and, not an or, an and, talk to Ryan Rose. He's kind of our fight club liaison guy who's kind of helping out with all that stuff. And he can help you get in one. So today, if you are not in a fight club, you need to be in a fight club. It's that simple. So please get in the fight club because as you grow, the church grows. And as we fall, the church falls. We're only as healthy as we are. You guys, being in the fight club, it's it's not only good for you, and it's not only good for your church. It's also great for your family, and it's great for your community. Anyways, guess what? I feel like one of those those commercials from like the early two thousands, uh, where uh, they go, and guess what? There's more. I've got more. I got I got one last thing. Second Kings. Here we go, the last, next two verses, 2 Kings 23, 24 to 25. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. In short, during these 75 years of Amnon and Manasseh, who came before King Josiah that were evil and bad and lost the scroll, they installed idol worship everywhere. There were idols everywhere you looked in Jerusalem. And I wish we had time to go through all of chapter 23. I'd encourage you to do this on your own time because, um, you guys, Scripture isn't always like very specific about things. Like they can be like vague and just kind of pass over things sometimes, but when it gets specific, it's usually very important. And when it gets very detailed, it's usually critical. And in this passage, it gets very, very detailed about how King Josiah destroyed these idols. It talks about how he burned them down, he beat it to dust, he defiled the high places, he pulled down and burned, reducing them to nothing. That's how he describes how he treated these idols. So a response to God's word, it impacts our community because other people encounter God's word. Our worship is consecrated, right? And third, because cultural idols Cultural idols are destroyed. We might not worship Baal, but we worship plenty of other things. I saw a a tweet. It was a tweet from Twitter. Um, And I wish I could say it was from a book, but it was from Twitter. And the, the quote talked about how, if social media is the God, then my time is the sacrifice. Right. If social media is the God, then time is the sacrifice. And I think about that and I think about what are the things that I do every day? Social media is definitely on there. There are plenty of other things that are on there, but why isn't my scripture reading on there? I say I have, I, I, I use the excuse if I don't have time or just, I ran out of time today, but I was on Instagram, and maybe I was on the We Are Melissa page, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know, I don't ever go on the We Are Melissa page, That was a joke. <laughs> but what I think King Josiah shows us here is that when we put Scripture in its proper place, usually other things are lowered. Um. John Calvin says it this way. He says that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We are great at producing idols, one after the next. I think in our humanness, we love to hold tightly to things that we don't need to hold tightly to. And we make things a lot more important than they really are. I think we make sports a lot more important than they really are. I think we make a lot of things a lot more important than they are. So, if we respond like King Josiah, and if cultural idols are torn down, then if we place scripture where it belongs, what in your life needs to come down? Because if we respond to this properly, then scripture is not going to tolerate being up here with sports. And it's not going to tolerate being up here with anything else. Jesus demands to be overwhelmingly first. He never settles for second because he's worthy of so much more than that. Let me conclude with this. At the end of the day, God's word demands a response. And no response is a response. Will we allow our Bibles to rot on our nightstands as we click next episode on the TV? Will we follow the same path of King Jehoiakim? Or will we be like King Josiah? will we respond to God's word and be filled with humility as we savor his might and we see his grace? Because even if we've responded like the first king, if up till today you haven't cracked open this Bible in 20 years, your story doesn't have to be the story of King Jehoiakim. That doesn't have to be your story. Today that can change. Right here, right now. Because God, in His grace, has said that for those of us who believe in Him, there is no condemnation. I am not here to condemn you today for not reading your Bible enough. Because God is here for you. And His love for you does not waver. It doesn't go, okay, hey, Caleb read three chapters today. He gets a couple extra bonus points, also an extra grace to Him. Grace was totally paid for on the cross by Jesus. All this, all scripture does is help us grow closer to him and it empowers us to follow him more every day and know more about who he is. Because if scripture is not treasured, then it is tarnished. So church, let's be a church that treasures this text together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Um, I personally um, have to repent, Lord, that I have not treasured your word as much as I should, Lord. Lord, I hope that you would equip every single one of us, Lord. Remind us that your spirit is here to help us treasure you, Lord. To help us treasure you through your word. God, thank you for loving us so much that you would choose to reveal yourself to us. That you would give us 66 books where we can learn so much about who you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8:30 and 10:30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.